Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Chirps. Tara and Alex back with you this week after I took a week off last week. Alex was out and I failed to invite a guest host early enough to get it done for you last week. But that's okay. This gave us a week to digest all of the trade deadline madness, even though not a lot of it had much to do with the St. Louis Cardinals. We'll get to that in a minute. But Alex, good to have you back. Were you paying attention to all the craziness going on in the baseball world? Or were you doing something that was probably a lot more fun? Um, I, I was not paying attention because I was doing something else. Whether it was more fun or more s- stressful might be the <laughs> word to use. I was on a family vacation. We were either like kayaking or I was at like a birthday party during um, this. Uh, so I kind of caught up with all the news at once like that evening um you just had a you just had a birthday didn't you i did it's true can i ask you a question sure uh uh, at at, did you have any sort of party i had dinner with my family did people sing (laughs) happy uh did people sing happy birthday to you they did all right so both of my kids had birthdays this month okay i can't help but notice it's more common, I think, at kids' birthday parties when you sing happy birthday, which lasts 10 seconds or whatever, in a crowd of like, let's say 10 people or more. There's always like one or a couple people who start this new verse at the end of like, how old are you sort of thing. Do you know what I'm talking about? I haven't heard that in a long time. But yes, I know what you're talking about. What are these people doing? I don't. Why are they doing this? I don't know. I don't know. I, it's uh, yeah. That's a good question. It's an annoying thing to do. <laughs> Maybe l- less. I, I don't know. Yeah. It's it's a fair point. It's I a fair point. Like the ant ants. That's <laughs> like the demographic who's usually doing this. Yeah. I, um. Anyway, I, I couldn't help but notice that with uh, the several birthday parties I attended. Anyway, that was not at all. Uh, but no, I don't need to hear that again. Like, let's do the birthday. What's we want to see the kids smile, and then we want right. to cake. We don't need yeah. that. No don't prolong it. Yeah, no, no, no one, one likes the that, that much. Uh, that on <laughs> something, something on Channel Four, even dumber. Yeah. I don't even know what why we're talking about Channel Four. I don't. It's that doesn't true. make sense to me. I would love um, to know where that came from, but uh, also I'm not sure I'm that interested to like go <laughs> figure it out. <laughs> anyway, uh, what'd you ask? Oh yeah. I, so I caught up on all the moves, uh, mostly moves from our friends, the Cubs, uh, which even though there had been talk of these types of moves, I would say going back to last year, last season, I still didn't really believe it until I saw it. I didn't think they were going to cut, cut all those guys loose. So I I was pretty shocked. I saw it and still didn't believe it. (laughs) I mean, it was, it was wild watching it happen, even though they had given every indication coming into this year that it was a possibility that the the sort of understanding that this core wasn't going to be able to stay together was a given. But then to go from, you know, a couple of weeks ago, right before they played the Cardinals last, kind of an announcement of like, yep, it's happening, get ready to seeing it actually happen the way that it did. And really all at once with the exception of, I mean, Jock Peterson was traded uh, prior to the, to the deadline day. But other than that, it was kind of this flurry of last minute, (sighs) everything must go kind of, uh, kind of sales, if you will. And 
it was strange to watch. It was strange to see a Cubs team that has become such a, a crucial piece of the last, I don't know, decade, depending on how you want to break it down and how you want to talk about their success. There's a lot that you can say about it, about how maybe they didn't live up to their own expectations and all of those things. But man, this was a team that was significant in the grand scheme of of baseball, not just in Chicago because of the the teams that they put together and the expectations that were there. And, you know, of course, all of that having to do with the the Cardinals on the opposite side of their uh, path to and from success. So uh, a strange dynamic watching it all be pulled apart like that and, you know, kind of wondering how things look in the NL Central from here. It's a weird landscape right now without that Cubs team. And it's also interesting to think that it wasn't that long ago that the Cubs really weren't a factor at all in the NL Central. And for a little while, at least, it looks like they're kind of going to be back in that spot. Yes, I think I was expecting them to maybe move Bryant and Kimbrell. I did not think they would move on from I think you can very confidently say the three most important pieces of their World Series, if not their World Series team, that era. Oh, yeah. That stretch from 2015 till I guess now in, in Rizzo, Bryant, and Baez, especially Baez, who seemed to kind of be the spiritual leader of that team in that era. So I was very surprised. And you know, they might be kicking our butts in four years or five years on the strength of some of these moves they just made. But I won't forget why that happened. And I, I won't forget that we got to watch like players like Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina um, presumably retire a Cardinal. That's not a guarantee, but I think it's... Uh, I think there's a very good chance those guys are are both going to retire a Cardinal. We weren't so lucky with Albert Pujols, but I I thought it was sort of a gross move by the organization um, to one, you know, and this is something we've been talking about forever. Everyone's been talking about forever. So I hate to bring it back up, but to do that whole Chris Bryant, obvious service, uh, you know, service time manipulation, and then to to trade him at the at the deadline, so you're so you're guaranteed to get something for him. He doesn't walk, and then to have Hoyer kind of not trash the players, but basically say like, "Look, we were at the bargaining table in good faith, and they were not." After this is the same. Uh, I know Theo's not there, but th- these are the same guys who who did that with Bryant. So I, I just I, I don't know. I thought the whole thing was gross and unbecoming of a premier franchise like the Chicago Cubs with, uh, you know, one of the best fan bases in baseball. Uh, one of the, they have some of the best history in baseball. I, I'm just glad the Cardinals did not do that. And again, they might be kicking our butts in a couple of years and, and it won't matter, uh, to most people, but it matters now. And I don't know, let's just hope that's not a trend because yeah, well, it's a bad one. I, I agree. And I think it's, it unfortunately showcases the growing divide between, baseball the business and baseball the i don't know profession if you will which doesn't seem like the the right word except that there there used to be 
And not to go all back in my day, but <laughs> there used to be more of this sense that like the Cardinals do, you know, you want to keep those players. You want to find a way to build around those core guys. You want them to have a legacy that isn't just about winning a championship, but it's about their role in the team and in the community and in the the history and in the process and all those things. And don't get me wrong, Rizzo and Bryant and Baez uh, as well as some of those other pieces from that team that won a, a championship, they're they're cemented in the, in the history for the Chicago Cubs. That's not the issue. It's just um, that balance of holding on to that and creating tradition from it and having that legacy gets lost in the big business that is baseball right now. And when you hear the kind of comments that you heard from the, the Cubs front office, both before the players were traded and after, it reinforces that, that in their mind, look, this is a business decision and this isn't profitable for me. This isn't how I'm going to make the, the most uh, use of my assets and get the greatest return on my investment. So I'm moving on. And while I can understand if you kind of eliminate all emotion and <laughs> uh, sentimentality from that conversation, I can understand that, look, they weren't going to be able to sign all of those core pieces and keep them all forever. That's not how this works. But to do it the way that they did and just sort of unceremoniously slam the door on the greatest the greatest uh, time period in recent history for Chicago Cubs fans was it was startling to watch, even though we knew it was coming. And I think it did kind of make me stop and think man especially since like Anthony Rizzo and, and Chris Bryant didn't even play the last home game before they were traded and everyone knew that they were going to get traded they didn't get an at bat in front of the home fans knowing that all that was going down and it definitely made me uh imagine the scenario being reversed and the Cardinals trying to trade off a significant piece and not giving the fan base that little nod of hey look we know this is tough we want you to to have this one last moment. Not that that's required or that it's an obligation or anything like that, but it just, it all felt pretty brutal in the way that it went down and kind of lacking that sensitivity to the fact that, yeah, it's a business on the back end of things, but it's also something that real humans do for a living and they do as a passion and fans are invested in, and those fans being invested are, are what makes it work for you as a business. So all just very strange and yeah, highlighting that the the business part of this whole thing is uh it's not friendly to even your your greatest stars. I even wonder how good of a business decision it was. Um uh, I mean, obviously sure, from a goodwill totally. standpoint, yeah. it's not. Uh, uh now whether that has an impact five years down the road or whatever remains to be seen. Maybe it won't matter if they somehow strike gold and have this kind of second surge of all these exciting players coming up at once and um, having their debuts all right after each other, which seemed to be happening. And, you know, starting in 2015 where it's like, gosh, when are we done with these guys? You know, how many more <laughs> of these guys do they have? And if you read, uh, I guess it was Ricketts, Todd Ricketts' letter to uh, season ticket holders. He kind of reminded them of like, hey, remember how exciting it was when we had all these guys coming up and we got to see their debut? Like, we're going to have that happen again. Those weren't his exact words, but that's what he was getting at. And I'm thinking, 
I mean, maybe. I, I mean, <laughs> to have prospects as good as Chris Bryant, Javier Baez, um, and Anthony Rizzo wasn't their prospect, but, you know, or whoever, it, it's not an easy thing to do. Yeah. It's, it's not a once in a, you know, it's not something that just comes around all the time. So, yeah, I, I'm really curious to see how this works for them. Uh, I won't lie when I say I hope it doesn't. Uh, <laughs> We are totally a Cardinals fair. podcast totally after fair. all. Yeah. Maybe we should talk about them. <laughs> but I, I, yeah, I don't need to repeat what I said earlier, but I was surprised. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think the key to that whole, like, look, remember how exciting it was before is that, well, you didn't sell off an entire World Series winning core the day before you're trying to tell me it's going to be really cool this time uh <laughs> there's a little little bit of a different flavor to to that whole process but we all know prospects are a, a risk we don't know how they're all going to work out and it will be interesting to see how they make that transition and kind of keep fans engaged because in that way fans are sort of checking out like a lot of fans are checking out in St. Louis because of the moves that they didn't make at the trade deadline. Checking out might be, uh, I, I don't know, I was going to say it might be a little bit harsh, but I, I don't actually think it is. I think a lot of fans are tired of seeing the same lack of intensity at the trade deadline and the lack of intensity on the field. And that brings us to the Cardinals trying to turn back time and perhaps make Adam Wainwright not feel like the grandpa of the starting rotation by bringing in Jay Happ and John Lester in their two big moves at the deadline. So big that MLB didn't even bother to include them in their trade notifications that I uh, was getting from all the other teams. Um, your reaction just initially to Happ and Lester as the, uh, the solution, perhaps, question mark, to the Cardinals pitching woes? Well, I, I don't think anyone is brave enough to call this a solution. Uh, <laughs> I, I will say, you know, J.A. Happ and John Lester were destined to pitch for the Cardinals at some point before their careers <laughs> ended, right? They, they just seem like guys who would have uh, the birds but on not the back. When they're, but not when they're good. Like <laughs> right? when, they're well, past, when they're past their, their peak. Certainly, certainly. <laughs> they, just, they just feel like Cardinals pitchers. So welcome, guys. Uh Look, I don't have strong feelings one way or another. My reaction after the smoke cleared and the Cardinals, all the Cardinals moves uh, were finished and we saw that this was it was basically this. And I, and I could be coming at it from the wrong angle, but I looked at it as the Cardinals saying, yeah, it's probably not going to happen this year for us. But we still believe in this team that we have assembled. So we're not going to mess up next season. Like, we're not going to trade a guy like Alex Reyes, who isn't even our eligible, you know, who isn't a free agent until 2024. Or um, Giovanni Gallegos, who, two guys who might, you know, might bring in some actual prospects because especially for a team that's headed to the playoffs and trying to solidify their bullpen and especially Gallegos is a very valuable guy to have. And so is Reyes in spite of, in spite of that awful walk rate. I don't, I don't know what else to to call it. (laughs) Um, So I think they still believe in this core. They just don't think this core is going to do anything this year, which I mean, 
Yeah, <laughs> right. But but and then but that then goes back to well, that's kind of your fault, right? Because. I'm sure they might say, well, look, we, we weren't expecting to get almost nothing out of Miles Michaelis. And, and that remains to be seen if he's going to come back and pitch it all this year. Uh, it looks like he probably will. Uh, they might say, like, we weren't anticipating on Jack Flaherty being being injured for more than half the season. Uh, hopefully we see him soon. Uh, we weren't anticipating on getting basically no production from Carlos Martinez. We weren't anticipating on KK being being injured. Um I'm sure I'm missing missing something, uh, and I think my response to that would, and your response to that would be, well, you, you you should expect some of those things. Just like you know, there's no such thing as a pitching prospect. That kind of carries over to when they're actual pitchers too. They don't just get hurt when they're prospects. They get hurt when they're when they're aces. They get hurt when they're at the end of their career, at the beginning of their career, whenever. So. I think the fact that we had a lot of questions about the pitching going into this season, and that is one of the reasons they're in the situation that they're in, is kind of on the front office. And more so, just the whole Colton Wong decision, which kind of signaled early on, like, we're going to try to win this year. We're going to try to get in that, you know, range that will hopefully get us, you know, a wild card game, but we're not going to go all out this year. And Look, I obviously want the Cardinals to make the playoffs. I, I want them to. It's not, it's probably not going to happen, but I still want them to. But I'm also not too upset to see this blow up in their face, the Colton Walk thing. And, and not necessarily blow up in their face. I mean, he's been hurt and stuff. Uh, there's no guarantee he would be hurt if he was playing in St. Louis, however. And he, when he wasn't hurt, he was having a great season in Milwaukee. Perhaps his best to date at the plate. And Tommy Edmond has just been passable. He's been so-so. Uh, so... I'm not too bummed to see them kind of have some egg on their face after the Colton Wong thing, um, as they should. And who knows, they might say, well, we didn't anticipate on him going, I don't think they would actually say this, but going to a division rival. Well, credit to Milwaukee, who um, is a smaller market than St. Louis and is still in pursuit of, of, of improving the roster, even when they are seven and a half games up on the Reds, I believe, and 10 games up on us um, as we're recording on Tuesday late Tuesday afternoon. So I I don't know what else to say beyond that. I I wasn't upset about the Cardinals deadline like some people were, but I also wasn't, obviously I wasn't excited, Uh, but but I wasn't, I wasn't upset either. I don't know what else they, I don't know what they could have done. I don't know what they should have done. Yeah. I wasn't upset because I had no expectations. (laughs) I had zero expectations that they were going to do anything that would be any more than kind of trying to hold on to the end of the season which is essentially what they said after the fact like we're 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 just trying to get to the end of 162 which is not what you really want to hear in that situation especially after the big deal they made about Nolan Arenado and look I don't think Nolan Arenado is going anywhere but the fact that you bring in a player of that caliber and aren't even really going to try to try when things go wrong middle of the season it just it's hard to it's hard to figure out what their what their point is, what their goal is, what their what their internal messaging actually means as far as the results on the field. I was having this conversation in the Birds on the Black group chat earlier based on uh, an interview that Jamas elected um early early this week and even 
Mo sounds in that interview a little bit like there's not really a clear direction at this point. And I think that's where I kind of land on all of this is, no, maybe this isn't the team you go all in on. But what is, right? What is a team that the St. Louis Cardinals would go all in on? What would that team look like? What, where would they have to be at any point prior to the trade deadline for this front office to say, hey, we don't just want to win the division. We want to win a world title and we're going to go make the moves to get there. Do they need to be 10 games up at the trade deadline? Do they need to have an MVP candidate player on their roster? Do they need to be, you know, plus 100 in run differential for the first? I don't know. I don't know what that team looks like because I don't know what it would take to break them out of this mold of good enough is good enough. And if they were 10 games up, my instinct is they would say, why would we make any changes? We're definitely good enough as it is. And then when they're 10 games back, it's, well, this team's not going to win anyway, so why bother? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, when you're 10 games up at the at the deadline, like, I don't remember how many games up the 2005 team was, or 2004 team, I should say, um, not 2005. But I'm guessing it was in that range, if not more. And that's when you say, okay, we're no longer competing to win the division. We're competing to win the whole thing. And, you know, what they do, they went out and got Larry Walker um, and made that crazy good lineup even scarier. Uh, I'm trying to, th- you know, I'm trying to think back to like 2015 and 2013, the last time they had uh, really good teams, um, certainly not as good as 2004, but 2013, I believe they had a sizable lead at the deadline. I don't remember what they did. If anything, um, I'm sure they did something like it's obviously not that notable. Right. right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, They haven't made a huge, I I guess the Matt holiday uh, trade Mm. um, in 2009. Uh, And, and, and that was kind of uh, that wasn't quite 2004. If I, if I recall, they just had a, a, a few game lead at that point. So that was a very much like, Hey, this isn't, a good upgrade to the roster that will help us in the home stretch. And it certainly did. So I don't know either. And it's, it's, it, it's not an easy thing to, it, it's a tough tightrope to walk because if you listen to what we're talking about with the Cardinals, there could be people listening to our earlier discussion about the Cubs and say, you see, that's exactly why the Cubs traded those guys because had they not, then all the Cubs podcasts in three years are going to sound exactly like this, which is we don't we have an okay team. We have a we have a team that you know has enough good players to 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 maybe win eighty four eighty five games, but we don't have a team that we feel is penciled into the playoffs. Um, and so it's very, and, and I just got done saying how gross I thought it, it was what the Cubs did. And, and I truly believe that. Um, so I think this just illustrates, it's not an easy, it's not the easiest thing in the world to do. And it's especially not easy when you don't have, uh, when you don't have an owner that's basically saying, go out and spend what you need to, to put the best possible team on the field. So I really don't know um, if they do sound directionless. Uh, that could possibly be the case because it's very hard to perhaps navigate 
this sort of purgatory that they are in, uh, which is a good team, not a great team. Uh, I'm good team. I, I mean, is this a good team? I, I think it remains to be seen. Uh, I think they could be. A good I, I mean, team. I, I guess I I'm thinking think more of like the last team. I, I think I'm thinking like post uh, 2015 Cardinals, sure. like, you know, I'm kind of putting them Just all in general. Yeah, I'm, I'm putting them great. all under yeah. this umbrella. Uh, <laughs> and it, it, it's going to be interesting. I, I think you've noticed attendance is still not back to where it needs to be, um, or at least back to where I think the owners would want it, where the owners would want it to be. Now, it's a little more complicated with like the Delta variant coming back, <laughs> and who knows how much of a factor that is, if at all. Um, I don't know if you've seen those heat maps of COVID. Certainly Missouri's not doing too well. So, so, I, I, so I don't know if that means that has an impact on attendance or doesn't have an impact at all because no one cares and would go to the game anyway. Um, probably not my place to speculate. Uh, so I'll move on. Um, but all this is to say that the Cardinals, I think, are in a spot where they didn't expect to be. They expected the Brewers to be a little worse the Reds to be a little worse and the Cardinals to be a little better. I'm guessing they expected to be like neck and neck with either the Cubs or well, probably not either the Cubs or Brewers right now. I think that's fair to say. And unfortunately, they're in a spot. I was looking at this earlier. If let's say how many they have 57 games left. If let's like imagine a scenario and I actually hope this happens and not to be cheesy, but I wouldn't mind to me the veterans all getting together, gathering the team together, a la 2011, with kind of a let's not embarrass ourselves speech. It doesn't mean we're going to make the playoffs, but we still think we're a good team. In fact, we still think we're a first place team. So let's go play like that the rest of the year and let's just see what happens. Well, let's say a first place team is a 91 win pace team because that's what how many games they won when they last won the division in 2019. That would, uh, with 57 games left, that would put them at an 85 and 77 record, which is a very respectable record. Um, and they could go into the offseason with their heads held high or <laughs> however you want to say it. And yeah, it would be disappointing because of what came before that, but at least they finished the season strong. And when I say go into the offseason, I say that because they probably would go into the offseason because that's not going to make the playoffs uh, a 91 win pace from here on out because the Padres who are next in line in the wild card. And I'm not, and I'm not even talking about the Reds. They'd have to leapfrog the Reds too. But if they wanted to get that second wild card spot, they would have to run down the Padres. And to do that, not only would the Cardinals have to play at a 91 win pace, but the Padres, I was looking at this earlier, they only have 54 games left. And the Padres would basically have to go 23 and 31 the rest of the way <laughs> to finish with 84 wins, uh, which is a 69 win pace. So, that's just not going to happen. Uh, you know, now obviously if the Cardinals somehow finish with a, a you know, a hundred win, you know, finish with a hundred win pace and then that whole equation changes. But the bottom line is this team is probably not going to the playoffs, almost assuredly not going to the playoffs. Um, but if they could have some sort of nice little run, like we saw in 2018, um, if they could have the veterans come and bring this club together and say, look, we really think we are a good team. Let's play like it then I will at least feel somewhat satisfied with the 2021 Cardinals, even if it doesn't quite work out as we all had hoped, which was the playoffs. 
Yeah. It's interesting thinking about what the second half can be because you will likely get Jack Flaherty and at least some portion of the, the remainder of the year, Miles Michaelis back. And it's hard to say what that impact is going to be because, look, we've talked about it over and over again. Even when the pitching stabilizes, they still have to be able to score runs, which they're not doing at a consistent enough clip. So it's not as if the the return of Jack Flaherty is magically going to vault them to that 100-win pace. It's one piece of something that may be successful because, look, there's no guarantee that just because he's healthy enough to pitch, he's going to be in mid-season form like we hope he will be. That's also a part of this conversation. So, you know, even if they were to pull off some sort of miracle run and sneak into the postseason, they don't look like a postseason team. So you wouldn't imagine that being a, a long-lasting uh, trip through the postseason for them. So what this second half looks like, in a lot of years, I would say maybe kind of de- decides for the team what the offseason looks like. But I'm not even sure that's the case with this team right now because there's such a focus on not giving up anything that may have future value. And this is a whole other conversation, maybe for a whole other time. I'm sure we'll talk about it over the offseason, but... I wonder if that idea of the future almost being more valuable than the present is sort of handcuffing what this organization is willing to do. And it has for a long time. There there are multiple pieces to that puzzle, but it is interesting just in light of what the second half even means with regard to the next couple of years, because hopefully you get a good look at Tyler O'Neill, Harrison Bader, and Dylan Carlson all in the same outfield for more than a few games at a time. Hopefully you figure out whether Tommy Edmund can lead off or if he can't lead off. Hopefully you get a feel for what Paul DeYoung is capable of doing in terms of recovering from a bad first half. All of those things. But that's a lot of hopefullys and not a lot of, hey, this is what we feel like we're really sure of. And maybe that's what you look for in the second half is, okay, what do we feel like we can be really sure of? And part of that that is hard to stomach sometimes is maybe being sure of the fact that a guy is not part of that winning combination going forward. And, you know, they might they might come to that conclusion more than they do the guys that are part of that winning mix going forward. Um, two things. You mentioned uh, O'Neill, Bader and Carlson on one of the recent Cardinals off day podcasts. They mentioned their record when all three of those guys are in the lineup and you know, who knows how much that has to do with the record. But I, I think it is very fair to say that this is a much better team when all three of those guys are healthy and that the outfield has been better than expected. Um, uh, a lot of that is because of Harrison Bader, you know, he's been, he, he's played very well, hit very well, not striking out as much as he used to. And uh, Dylan Carlson has been, I feel like he's been hitting well lately, but that could just mm-hmm. be in the games I've been able to watch. Uh, the games I've seen, he's been hitting well lately, but I, I I don't want to like pull up his last 50 plate appearances and all of a sudden be like, oh, actually, I'm, I'm very much wrong. <laughs> so that could be the case. But in Tyler O'Neill's had a good season. So, um, so, so that's one promising thing. Also from the standpoint of, you know, was it two or three seasons ago where they – I think 2019, where they really talked about maybe trading Harrison Bader mm-hmm. to the Mets. Um, 
there's been a lot of talk about like, why do we, is Tyler O'Neill the right fit for this team? Uh, a lot of anxiety about Randy Rosarena playing well elsewhere. Um, and there's been a lot of talk about how good of talent evaluators Mo and company are. Uh, I think we can at least, if not say good job on the outfield, say like, you know, it's, it's not nearly as bad as some of the naysayers have said. In fact, it's pretty good. Um, in, in terms of the guys they kept versus the guys they let go, like Randy or Rose and might turn out to be a mistake. Um, but I'm pretty happy with the outfield we have. Uh, the second thing, and it's a question I have for you, do you think Paul DeYoung is our starting shortstop next season? Obviously, I'm thinking about like a Trevor Story, but then we'd have to probably out, you know, we would have to, that, that will involve, I presume, a bidding war, which the Cardinals yeah. don't always end up on the uh, good side of those. Uh, I would say I don't think he should be. <laughs> I would say... I'm not convinced the Cardinals are prepared to go that strongly after someone outside the organization to fill that spot. I don't know that they feel like Sosa is the heir apparent. I don't know that they are prepared to walk away from Paul DeYoung, but I don't think this is a team that's going to be particularly successful with that gap in the lineup the way that it is doesn't have to be, you know, a cleanup hitter. That's the shortstop. Um, But I think just like of this team at some point when they're, they're hovering around 500, we have to go, okay, well maybe this is who they are. Maybe they are a 500 team with Paul DeYoung. At some point you have to say, okay, maybe this is who he is. He is inconsistent. He is streaky. He's not the guy that's going to be the power hitter all the time that we saw several years ago. And if he isn't going to be that guy, then they can't build a lineup based on the fact that he's going to be that guy if he's not. So the answer to your question is sort of a sidestep because I don't think that he should be the starting shortstop next year. I'm not confident in the organization's willingness to make the the big enough move because it is going to cost them in some form or another, whether it's dollars and cents or players from other positions off the major league roster or the minor league one. And right now we've talked about this before. They don't really want to spend in either form. So I don't know how you make that move or make that transition unless you just kind of hand Sosa the keys and see what happens from there. And I'm not sure that's the long-term solution either. I agree. I, I don't know either. Uh, if I had to guess, I would say he is not the starting shorts, shortstop next season. But who knows? And I guess remember we'll that one day when we were like, "What if? What if they get Francisco Lindor?" <laughs> that was a fun. That was a fun thought for a minute. Well, <laughs> uh, way back then. All right. So the Cardinals are in a relatively easy stretch of their schedule. They've got Atlanta and Kansas City this week. Then they've got Pittsburgh and Kansas City again next week before they face off with Milwaukee in the middle of the month. That should work to their advantage. It doesn't always work out that way. I, I think at this point, it's kind of just like, well, let's let's see what happens and not have expectations that are too out there at this point. 
which isn't the most fun way to watch baseball. But, um, you know, at least, as you said, at this point, they're they're good, but not great. Maybe not even good. Maybe like a step behind good, but also not terrible. (laughs) Whatever that looks like, they're average. They're a 500 team. And that means that one night they're going to be okay to watch. And the next night it's going to be pretty painful. So we'll see what they do through this this week stretch in the schedule. But, um, you know, at this point, it's hard not to think about what they do to set themselves up to figure out what next year looks like. Yes. So their next 20 games, as you said, Braves, Royals, Pirates, Royals, Brewers, Pirates, then two games against the Tigers, and then four games against the Pirates. So actually the next 24 (laughs) games are against those teams. Too unreasonable to say, I don't know, win 14 or 15 of those games and then you have my attention um i think that's totally fair yeah against because look, I mean, you kind of have to actually if I, they want to if they want to go from that meh okay team to a good team that you're like well i at least want to see what happens here they have to be able to win against the teams that are just not even trying <laughs> that are that are having the kind of seasons that they've already moved on to next year and if they don't want to be that kind of team where everyone's already moved on to next year they have to win against these these opponents that they have in these next 24 games okay so 24 games against those teams who aren't good with an exception of the brewers i'm gonna say you have to go 15 and 9 yeah yes do it we'll check up on them after that's done all right to see what they did there you go i I remember last time they had an easy stretch they not only did not go 15 and 9 but they did like the opposite of that so just don't do that that was not fun that was not fun to watch that did not keep my attention (laughs) so we'll see what they do with it and uh you know maybe they'll they'll keep us intrigued with something that happens in the next couple of weeks. But for now, the intriguing thing in the moment is the chirp of the week. So Alex, I will hand it over to you. Okay, Tara, I don't know if you can see. Can you see the shirt I'm wearing? I can see the okay. shirt you're wearing. It says wearing. the Beatles live at Bush Stadium. Uh, Very nice. This was a uh, gift or uh, just a here you go uh, thing from my in-laws. Uh, I assume they got it from like a Cardinals giveaway or something at a stadium it has a cardinal on the back um so i bet they gave this away at the stadium uh some time ago although they had talked to their daughter they would have been told he has way too many t-shirts already do not give him another one but uh obviously they did not um but this is a t-shirt commemorating when the beatles played at the bush stadium uh i have the date here somewhere or at least i did um where'd it go well, whatever, I lost it. But it was in August of 1966. Uh, so just a few months after, uh, when I say Bush Stadium, I'm talking about uh, Old Bush, Bush Memorial Stadium. So just a few months after uh, Bush Memorial Stadium opened. And I found an old review of the show on from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch written by Robert K. Sanford, who was on staff then. Um, and... Do you remember that part? Did you have you ever seen the movie Almost Famous? I have not. Okay. I know the movie, but I have okay. not seen it. Well, this I'm I'm about to read you the entire review, and, and my okay. apologies beforehand. But uh, it reads as though he had been taking notes on a note card, as one does, you know, when preparing sure. something, and then just yeah. like turned in those note cards and said, like, <laughs> here's the article. Perfect. All right, like, like that's how it reads. Um, <laughs> Uh, I, I, I want to read this to you, um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the whole thing, but again, it's not too long. But uh, okay, here we go. 
The Beatles played and sang 11 tunes last night before 23,143 paid spectators at Bush Memorial Stadium in a light rainstorm. Thousands of fans screamed for the music. Thousands got wet from the rain. Hundreds were terribly upset by it all, and a few dozen fainted. (laughs) The 11 tunes took about 30 minutes, and the rain was substantial at times. The fans sat in the rain and yelled. The, the Beatles were protected by a plastic canopy, but they also got damp. Their mop hairdos got damp, and so did the mop hairdos of their followers. The members of the quartet told their press officer, Tony Barrow, that they did not mind playing in the rain, but were a bit apprehensive about the possibility of getting shocked by the wet electric amplifying equipment. But once on stage, they grabbed their electric guitars and microphones and fearlessly attacked the music. (laughs) Whatever that is. Um, (laughs) The Beatles were pleasant as they chatted with reporters before the show. One interviewer told Ringo Starr, the drummer Beatle, (laughs) that he was interested in the musical makeup of their songs. Quote, well, really, I don't quite know what to say, Ringo replied. Musically... The songs are not that extraordinary. One reporter asked Paul McCartney whether he preferred to write songs or to perform. He liked writing, Paul said, and he did not think that he and the other Beatles were very good as performers. (laughs) What is going on? Um, John Lennon, the literary Beatle, remarked that everybody had been doubly kind to them in the controversy about his statement that the Beatles were more popular now than Jesus Christ. Uh, Yeah, a lot going on here. Um, (laughs) Young people from the First Baptist Church of Ferguson and the Broadway Baptist Church handed out more than 20,000 pamphlets concerning the Lenin Statement. But the Reverend Bob Wright, a minister at the Ferguson Church, pointed out that they were not really in opposition to the Beatles. Quote, we have tried to take a positive approach, the Reverend Mr. Wright said. The pamphlet said there was a strong element of truth in what Lenin said. They called popularity fickle and pointed out that people who at one time praised Christ were the ones who demanded his crucifixion. Some Beatles fans did not accept the pamphlets gracefully or try to understand them, the Rev. Mr. Wright said. An older boy pushed Stephen Crowder, age 11 years old, in the face, the Rev. Mr. Wright said, and some other youths spit on a group of the pamphlet passers. It has been experienced for our youngsters tonight, the Reverend Mr. Wright said. Barrow, the Beatles press office, said the alleged decline was mythical. Beatles, Beatles knocking has become a new fad. Again, I don't even know what the alleged decline we're even talking about, but that was just the next paragraph. New paragraph. The fans at Bush Stadium got plenty of volume for their money, but the song lyrics were difficult to understand. The rain did not damp the echo qualities of the stadium. Jake Goggin, public address system operator, said the music was piped through more than 200 speakers at the structure. The system works well when performers speak distinctly, he said, but distinct enunciation is not a notable ingredient in rock and roll music. Because it was thought that the rain might get worse, the Beatles' performance was moved forward in the program to the third position in five acts. The group that followed them, the Ronettes, was made up of girl singers. Uh... You all probably know the Ronettes, and if you don't know them, you've heard their songs, whether you know it or not. Um, Anyway, back to the article. When the girl singers appeared on stage, most of the girl spectators deserted their seats in the rain. 
again, this is it's just like a stream of random thoughts. All right. Some fans had come a long way for the show. A group of 85 had won an air trip from Denver in a radio station contest. Two girls from Memphis who were dressed in boutique clothes, uh, one wore a tailored Glen plaid short skirt suit and hat, and the other was dressed in a broad vertical stripes of green, orange, and purple, said they had seen the Beatles in Memphis and were going to follow them to New York and try to get them and try to get to talk to them. Daddy's rich, one explained. <laughs> um, at the first aid station, two nurses treated 35 girls for minor injuries and ailments, the most common one being acute beetle mania. It's mild hysteria, said nurse Virginia Berger. The symptoms are weeping, wailing, and uncontrollable shaking. I tell them to sit down and cool off. And, and you know, that's kind of interesting because this was more than two years after the Beatles appeared on Ed Sullivan and everyone lost their minds. So mm. apparently that still hadn't worn off yet. Or yeah. at least um, young young girls in St. Louis were still waiting to get their chance sure. to, to, sure. to do that. So <laughs> that's what it sounds like was happening here. After the Beatles appeared, the nurses had about a half dozen young girls at a time in the station cooling off in shifts in the next hour. The Beatles arrived in a chartered jet plane and were taken to the stadium in limousines. Again, there's no rhyme or reason why any of this is in the order that it's in. Um, <laughs> all right, let me say, again. The Beatles arrived in a chartered jet plane and were taken to the stadium in limousines. One limousine driver forgot to lock the back doors of the car after the Beatles had got out and someone stole the rear floor mats. After the show, the Beatles... Important detail. Yeah, the Important Beatles detail. left in two police cars. About 50 young fans tried to get past police to touch the British singers. Some girls tried to scramble onto the police cars. A 17-year-old girl from Crevecore managed to get hold of Ringo for a moment. Afterwards, she kept shouting, I held him, I held him. She grabbed a reporter around the waist and said, I held him like this. She jumped up and down, flailed her arms, then turned limp. Two policemen assisted her, holding her up by the arms, but they soon lost enthusiasm and left her on the sidewalk. She'll be all right, one said dryly. End of article. <laughs> and that, that is incredible. And that is when the Beatles played Bush Stadium. No, no mention of the set list or anything. No, like what songs just 11 they songs that were so, too loud. Yes, I did the research the and found out. That the, I'll tell you the 11 <laughs> songs they played. Okay. They opened with a cover, uh, Chuck Berry cover, rock and roll music. Uh, then they played She's a Woman. Uh, followed by If I Needed Someone, Day Tripper, Babies in Back, I Feel Fine, Yesterday, I Want to Be Your Man, Nowhere Man, Paperback Writer, and they closed with another cover, Little Richard's Long Tall Sally. So that was the Beatles set in Bush Stadium in August 1966. That's why I have another t-shirt that I absolutely did not need but i'm glad to own and uh that is your trip of the week the beatles playing at bush stadium and this hilarious article review uh from that time in 1966 that i encourage you all to read i definitely want to go back and read it again because there was a lot happening there and there was a lot happening that didn't like you said it was what why is this here what, what are we talking about now Wait. I, i'm curious yeah, I mean, to be fair, like, I guess maybe rock concerts were kind of a new thing or sort of close to a new thing maybe back then. And maybe is that how at all, least the hysteria is that how all the reviews sounded just kind of like a streamline <laughs> of uh, maybe so. Uh, yeah. Of thoughts. I don't know. But I, I laughed. Although I I'm not that. sure how helpful any of that was in terms of 
uh, uh, reviewing the actual no. concert. Anyway, uh, you know, nonetheless, now you have something that can entertain you, even if the Cardinals do not in this series with the Atlanta Braves this week. So, Alex, as always, gem of a find. <laughs> and uh, I appreciate you bringing that to our attention. <laughs> yes, I, I think... Um... It's about as relevant and important today as the current version of the Cardinals are. So there you go. There it is. That's all you need to know. <laughs> and I'm so glad that you listened this far into the show to uh, to get that gem in your brain that now you're going to be thinking about all day, I hope. Um, all right. Well, I think that's where we'll leave you. I wish I had something as arbitrary and random to end with as that article did. But instead, I will just say thank you for listening Alex, good to have you back. Uh, we'll see if the Cardinals are as interesting as a bad concert review next week, and then we'll try to talk about it. So for everyone listening, thank you. For Alex, I'm Tara. Check out Birds on the Black and all the other great content coming out on the Birds on the Black podcast page, and we'll talk to you again very soon. Very soon.